This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 15, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Even with a proposed boost to military spending and few, if any, changes to entitlements, it's not clear that President Trump is interested in the kinds of spending reform that will slow the growth of government. Cato senior fellow Dan Mitchell explains. With this new Congress and President Trump, how likely is it, is it that we might end up with a spending cap? In his State of the Union address, President Trump seemed to uh, poo-poo the one area of budget restraint, which was the sequester. Well, he was not very happy with the defense sequester. Uh, he is proposing to allegedly cut domestic discretionary and keep the overall totals uh, where they were to start with. Uh, Now, of course, our main fiscal problem is not domestic or defense discretionary spending, although both of them uh, should be examined with a a much closer eye as to cutting out waste and programs that shouldn't exist. Our real problem is the entitlement spending, uh, which is why some of us have thought that some sort of comprehensive spending cap, comprehensive budgetary reform is going to be necessary in the long run. Now, he, at least on the campaign trail, was very clear to point out we're not going to do anything with entitlements. He has a tiny bit of flexibility if he wants on entitlements. He said he doesn't want to cut them. But of course, all the reforms that people are talking about, uh, none of them are that aggressive. They simply slow the growth. Uh, And there has been uh, lots of rumors that we will have some Medicaid reform out of Trump. Uh, In other words, maybe his entitlement statements apply to uh, entitlements for senior citizens, uh, not some of the uh, more traditional welfare state entitlement programs. Uh, And maybe that commitment he allegedly made uh, only applies for one year. We got a comment from OMB Director Mulvaney that suggests that there might be hope for addressing the programs in the future. I'm not terribly optimistic just because you have to be willing to deal with uh, demagoguery and criticism if you're going to tackle what I view as the most serious long-run threat to our nation's fiscal vitality. Uh, Years ago, Mike Lee, I think, was one of the more prominent uh, proponents uh, of this was a total spending cap and it it, as a constitutional matter. Is, Is there any appetite for that at all? There are a couple of different uh, potential vehicles on Capitol Hill for overall spending control. And and by the way, before even getting into that, uh, I should hasten to add that our long-run problem isn't deficits and debt. Deficits and debt are the symptom of the problem. And the problem is that government is growing faster than the private sector, mostly because of the aforementioned entitlement programs. Now, you can try to address the problem with some sort of modified balanced budget amendment. In other words, instead of a traditional balanced budget amendment, revenues and spending must equal, you throw in some sort of spending cap. Uh, And that would be fine if we somehow thought we could get a two-thirds vote uh, through both houses of Congress and get three-fourths of the state legislatures to uh, ratify. That's going to be an uphill battle. Uh, The other potential uh, approach is to have some sort of legislative spending cap. Uh, And we have had members of Congress, such as Ways and Means Chairman uh, Brady in the House and uh, in the Senate. Uh, We've had at one point Senator Corker had some pretty good legislation. Uh, The downside with that approach, well, the the good news, it's probably easier to get through legislation than a constitutional reform. Uh, The bad news is you live by legislation, you die by legislation at some point in the future if the spending caps were actually limiting the ability of politicians to buy votes on Capitol Hill, 
what would stop them from simply repealing the spending caps. And how credible are legislative spending caps, truly? I guess semi, for lack of a... uh, (laughs) It's difficult to answer because we did have the discretionary spending caps as part of the uh, 2011 debt limit legislation. And we actually got a sequester, I think it was early 2013 as a result. And notwithstanding uh, then-President Obama saying the earth was going to uh, blow up and that planes were going to fall out of the sky, we were all going to die of eating poisoned meat, it turned out that that sequester had no effect on the operations of government. It saved taxpayers payers a little bit of money. Uh, Unfortunately, what happened in 2015, they didn't want another sequester. So they, in effect, voted to increase the spending cap. Uh, And then, uh, as a matter of fact, they've done that twice. And so this gets gets to the problem of a legislative spending cap. Politicians can always just vote to undo it. Now, of course, if we had a constitutional spending cap, would they figure out clever and creative ways of trying to get around it? Yes, probably. But at least based on what we've seen in countries like Switzerland and Hong Kong, where spending restraint is officially part of their constitutions, it does seem to have some beneficial effect. What, what, is, what are the nuts and bolts of the Swiss plan and, and how likely is it that the U.S. could emulate something like that? Practically speaking, the Swiss spending cap basically allows government outlays to increase 2% a year. The underlying mechanics are fairly complicated. The Swiss federal treasury does a five-year estimate of what's going to be happening to revenues. Spending is not allowed to grow faster than that. In effect, it smooths out the business cycle, and it allows spending to grow a little bit when there's a recession, but it also says when there's an economic boom and revenues are growing rapidly, spending can still only grow by a modest amount. So I like to think of it uh, in my my egotistical Washington way as a version of my golden rule, the private sector should grow faster than the government. The Swiss debt break, as their provision is called, basically says government grows 2% a year. And since in an average year, the private economy grows faster than 2% a year, you have good long-run results. Once you have boosted uh, the Pentagon by 10%, as Donald Trump has proposed, and essentially left entitlements off the table broadly as a, as a, a cuttable uh, uh, item, what is there left to cut? It seems like the rest of the budget is shrinking relative to those other things. Even though entitlements are the fastest growing part of the budget, and even though discretionary programs are shrinking as a share of the budget, the overall budget is still growing. So discretionary programs are still growing themselves. They're just not growing as fast as the entitlements. And heaven knows that there are all sorts of programs and entire departments in the domestic discretionary side of the budget that should be eliminated or shut down or devolved to the states. Uh, You name it. Why do we have a Department of Housing or Urban Development? Why do we have a Department of Energy? Why do we have a Department of Commerce? Lots of discretionary spending in those departments and others uh, that those of us at Cato would like to get rid of entirely. Now, if we do all that, is that going to solve our long-run fiscal problem? No. Ultimately, if we want to save the United States from becoming a European welfare state, we will have to address the entitlement programs. Dan Mitchell is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.